Taxes Show with your host, Eric Metaxas. Folks, a very, very special episode of the Eric Metaxas Show. We're going to be playing a conversation I had. Uh, Pastor Frank uh, Ramsour, uh, Calvary Chapel, Chattanooga, invited me and Dennis Prager to talk about the hot issues of the day. This is one of the most no-holds-barred conversations I've ever had. Dennis is extraordinary. Here it is. Well, first of all, it's an honor to be here, and thank you all for being here. Pastor, you have created something remarkable, and I I salute you. (laughs) I'm hesitating because I don't want to depress you. And, uh, and that's the truth, by the way. I, I, it's been something I've wrestled with for e- almost two years now. There is so much bad going on in this country and in the West. And so doing a radio show, I'm not on in Chattanooga, unfortunately, but I know s- some of you are familiar with Prager University. And, mm-hmm. oh, and uh, I'm not advertising my show, but you can hear it easily in any other way, even if it's not on local radio. But I only mention it not to promote it, but I wrestle every day with how do I tell my listeners what I think and not get them down. And I don't know if I, I am successful at it, but it's more important for me to say what I think And I have an answer to the issue, by the way, of getting down. I do have an answer, which I'll come to later. But the reason that I raise that at all is, and this this goes into Eric's uh, area as well, but only for a moment. Uh, I used to think, I, I immersed myself in the study of communism. I was in the Soviet Union a number of times. I was in communist countries often. I learned Russian in order to read Pravda. So that was my field of study, which most people didn't have. It turned out to be the most valuable thing I could study. I never mm-hmm. thought it would be. <laughs> turned out that learning how to read Pravda taught me how to read the New York Times. <laughs> You're a with it audience, I must say. That, uh, that line does not always get such a response. Uh, you, you, your reaction is one of agreement with me. And I'm not kidding. I never, I truly, I took a vow when I began broadcasting 38 years ago that I wouldn't exaggerate. I certainly would never lie, but I even wouldn't exaggerate because over time it becomes lies and over time people don't trust you. When I say that the New York Times is Pravda, it is not meant as an attack. It is meant as an honest-to-God description. Pravda was to the Communist Party what the New York Times is to the Democratic Party and the rest of the left. It's its mouthpiece. New York Times is committed to truth on these matters as much as Pravda was. And it's important that you understand what Pravda meant. Pravda is the Russian word for truth. Lenin said the truth is what the Communist Party says it is. That's what the Democratic Party says. Truth is what the Democratic Party says. So truth is what the university says. The Oregon Education Department announced that it was no longer going to teach that there are correct answers in math. Look it up. If I'm, if I'm wrong, you should not trust anything I say. If I'm right, you shouldn't trust anything you learn in an Oregon school. 
Is that, is that fair? That's right. That is their position. Because objective answers is now considered equivalent to white supremacism. The idea that there is one right answer is a white supremacist idea. That is how sick our schools have become, not just in Oregon, almost anywhere. I can't speak for Chattanooga. Um, If you're an exception, you're very lucky and you should all stay here. And I I mean it because everybody's moving. (laughs) So uh, this is the lesson what the pastor asked. So here's my, the lesson that I've learned in the last two years, which has been a little shattering, I admit. I used to think that there was something particularly awful about Germans and something particularly awful about Russians. They went from the Tsar to the Soviets. What kind of people is that? And I really did think that. I didn't think it was innate you know, or racial makeup. But I really did think, and as a Jew, I, I really did think, you know, while there are a lot of anti-Semites everywhere, nevertheless, the Germans seem to have specialized in it, from Luther to Hitler. Mm. So I no longer think that way. Uh, I, I now realize, watching so many of my fellow Americans hate-filled and acting like sheep that there is no national identification, ethnic identification with totalitarianism. It could happen here. Whatever the it is, Soviet, Nazi, fascist, like on the Italian model. I never, you have to understand, I've been lecturing for 50 years since I started at 21. I never said these things. I always believed we were different. America was different. That is true. It's not that different today. The left is ruining this country. And that is the lesson. It's not unique to, the, to, to Russians. Listen, there's no threat in this country of a Gestapo knocking on your door or a KGB agent knocking on your door or send you either to Auschwitz or, or to Gulag, the Gulag. And yet still... Vast numbers of Americans are afraid to stand up. Mm. So if we're afraid to stand up because we'll be belittled on the Facebook page, how can you yell at a German for, for fearing to, to stand up if they have to face the Gestapo or a Soviet citizen, the KGB? So the question your pastor is posing is completely apt, unfortunately. I'll have a lot more to say. I don't want to take the rest of the evening with this. But I I no longer think of the German or the Russian. I think of the human. How easily the human can become a sheep. What a load of crap. (laughs) I can't believe it. i got to sit up here and listen to this right wing. Unbelievable. That's what they taught you at Columbia. <laughs> okay, folks, this is a special episode of the Eric Taxa Show. We will be right back with more of my no-holds-barred conversation with the great Dennis Prager.
Folks, this is a special episode of the Eric Metaxa Show. We are replaying a conversation I had with Dennis Prager. This is one of the most no-holds-barred conversation on the issues of the day I have ever had. You do not want to miss it. Please share it. Uh, here it is. It is It is really. It's such an honor to be here. Maybe that sounds like a cliche. It is a cliche, but it's really true to have people stand when you walk into the room. And I know that was mostly for me and not Dennis. I, I realize that. <laughs> uh, I... In all seriousness, I know it's for God, because God uh, has given us the privilege of knowing what we know, and and, uh, it's a privilege to be able to speak and and to stand and to say some of the things that we've said. Um, There's so much to say on this larger topic, so when, when I was asked by Pastor Frank, you know, there are five things, I... It kind of blurs for me, in, in a way, when you're talking about what's going on in Germany, what happened in Germany, and what's happening here. Um, there are many similarities. Of course, there are some differences. And because there are some differences, people on the left can really misunderstand these parallels. And it's kind of funny, because when I wrote the Bonhoeffer book, uh, so many people... Uh, came to love me, who then, once I came out of the closet as, you know, believing uh, Trump was better than Hillary Clinton as a candidate, that's pretty crazy stuff. When I, when I came out on that, these people thought, I get emails now a little bit less often, but I was getting emails like almost every day, have you lost your mind? Didn't you read your own Bonhoeffer book? Don't you see... You know, effectively, mm. that Hitler, I mean, that the Trump is Hitler 2.0. Don't you get it? He's an authoritarian monster, you know. Uh, and I, re- I realized that it's, it's almost funny because it's precisely the opposite. Mm. It's the left that has, you know, taken on the mantle of Hitler. Has anybody referred to Hitler as having a mantle before? <laughs> the biblical, it's an anti-mantle. Sure. Um, but the point is... The point is that uh, the parallels are stark, but even a number of years ago, even, I don't know, seven years ago, eight years ago, people would say, how did this happen in, in, in Nazi Germany? How did that happen? And I said, it happened exactly like it's happening here now. That's how it happened. So the idea that, you know, I mean, of course, uh, if you have a racist view of Germans... It's very easy to say how it happened. The Germans are uniquely evil, right? But if you believe that, you're as bad as the Germans who hated the Jews as being uniquely evil. We all know, as Dennis just said, that it's not a racial issue. It's a human issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't know why God allows it to go as it does through history. Uh, you know, if I were God, I, I don't think I would have uh, let the uh, Holocaust happen. But I'm not God. God knows things that we don't know. But I think the, the parallels, I mean, the parallels are endless, and I guess we'll, we'll get to them tonight. But the first thing really to talk about is I would say you, you, your theology is ultimately everything. But even the word theology is just another word for what, what do you believe about anything? Because theology, mm-hmm. we kind of act like there's this discipline of theology. What we're really talking about is just reality. Reality it doesn't matter what you call it. Thinking about truth 
is not theological. It's just thinking about truth. So it can have theological aspects. But the point is that different cultures, you know, parse these things different ways. And the Germans basically took their eye off the ball in the same way that Americans are taking their eye off the ball. And what I mean by that is that if you really understand freedom and if you understand the scriptures, you know that you have to fight for what is right and true. You have to live your faith out. And sometimes that means literally losing your head, being killed, being tortured, being ostracized, that you have to live your faith out. And it seems to me that the first parallel between the Germans of the the 30s and America today is that the Christians in particular, and how you define Christians is is a whole thing, because I've said to Jewish friends like Dennis that most Christians are not Christians, they're Gentiles. Uh, And and, uh, to really be a Christian is another thing. But even Christians in America, it's sickening for me to see, like evangelical Christians, have, they've made a philosophical, theological error. They somehow have come to believe, kind of what the Germans believed, that you don't have to do anything. Uh, Luther said it's all about grace, right? Well, you all know that these things can become religious bromides and cliches. They become meaningless. How can it be all about grace? And you say, well, I don't have to do anything. We're not talking about salvation, okay? We know that you can't do anything to save yourself. God saves you utterly 100%. However, if you're saved by God, there will be fruit, and you'll do all kinds of stuff. And if you don't do all that kind of stuff, you didn't get saved. You're a hypocrite if you say you're a Christian, but you're not living like you believe in the God of the Scripture. So Dennis and I were talking about this on the way over, and he said a lot of dumb stuff. I'm not going to repeat it because you respect him, and I don't, that doesn't need to change tonight. But in time, believe me, it will. Um, but the fact is that that's the number one thing for me is that the Germans bought into this stupid idea. Kind of they thought, hey, we're German, which means we're Lutheran, which means you know Luther invented Christianity as far as we're concerned. He invented this idea of grace. Grace means I don't have to do anything, and that's that. And, of course, Bonhoeffer wrote about cheap grace and the idea that if you don't really understand grace, uh, you, you, you treat it like nothing. You, know, you, you, you treat what God has done for you like nothing, which means you don't get it, which means you don't believe, which means forget about grace. There's no grace because you haven't appropriated the grace. I really believe, for other reasons, the, the church in America today has done the same thing. They, I, I think there are different reasons, but there are tons of people who've excoriated people like me and Frank and said, you've made an idol of politics. You've made a, a, an idol of Donald Trump or you know, ridiculous things. And the point is, no, we just believe that our faith touches everything. It's not some little parochial religious thing that stays in the corner, you know, like, like, the, like the official churches do in China. It's something that has to come out of the church and live everywhere. We have a free exercise of religion, freedom to do that. So if you keep it in this little religious theological corner, then it's phony. It's abbreviated faith. If you don't live it out in the school, on the workplace, uh, on the radio, on the whatever it is, if you don't do that... You don't really believe it. You're, you're, you're phony. So when people talk about, I just want to preach the gospel. I don't want to be, uh, I don't, I don't want to be political. 
We think that's just stupid. That makes no sense. Because if you're a Jew in a boxcar going to Treblinka or Auschwitz, you think, you know, I, I would love it if there were some Christians out there on the other side of this boxcar who believed what they said and would get political and stand up against the system that is sending me and my family to death. That's, that means getting political. And many Germans, of course, I can say my mother grew up in Germany uh, during the, the Nazi time. My family was there. I can say emphatically, many, Christ, many, many Germans really didn't know what was happening with the Jews. Now, I, I could get in an argument with, with uh, Dennis about that, but, that, but I'm saying the point is that those who did know generally felt it's not my business. I've got, I have no business getting involved politically. I just need to keep my, keep my head down. But then the Christians, where it gets worse, said, well, I'm just, we're just going to pray and we're just going to, quote, unquote, preach the gospel. We don't want to get involved politically and fight. Many Christians today think that's an option. And my question to them is, what kind of fake pseudo-gospel are you preaching that you would think anybody should care about it if you're not willing to live it out self-sacrificially in a way that's going to cost you. Um, William Wilberforce, of course, not only got political, but was a politician because he felt his faith compelled him to use everything he could to end the slave trade. So anytime somebody says, I'm just going to be religious and political, it, it really is like somebody in China saying, I'm going to be part of the official church. Well, if you're part of the official church, you're part of no church. Mm. And that's basically the theology that a lot of the Germans had in the 30s, which allowed the Nazis to take over. And that's the theology that uh, allowed uh, Biden to steal the election. And uh, I just want to say that as far as I'm concerned, the church is on the hook for all of this. And one of the reasons we're going through this hell right now is that God wants to teach us a lesson just as he uh, let the uh, uh, Israelites go through hell over and over and over and they were judged. We're going through a season of that because we clearly didn't get it. And God says, I need you to get this. If you don't get this, if you don't understand that, if you don't stand up and fight, you know, we might as well fast forward to the red heifer and all be taken up. She was making for the trades on the outside. And the downhill run to Papa Folks, you're listening to a special episode of the Eric Metaxas Show. This is a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago with Dennis Prager, uh, hosted by Frank Ramsour, the pastor of Chattanooga Calvary Chapel. This is amazing stuff. Don't miss it. Here it is. I, th- I think, Dennis, when you mention uh, a bit of a, well, it might be a bit of a revelation, really, and a revolution of just your own thinking as it relates to where did that kind of evil come from, not just the Nazis, the, the Germans, but actually from the human heart. I mean, there are stories of Jews in boxcars, as you just mentioned, on the way yeah. to the slaughter, while the church was just like, let's just sing louder so we don't have to hear those Cars rumbling I, by. I think we, that's apocryphal, I think, but the, the idea is the same, is that if your faith does not move you to act in a way that puts your life and everything you have at risk, 
then you actually have no faith. You are a mere uh, religionist. You, you have no faith, which is worse than being an agnostic. Mm. It's, it's, it's horrifying. Mm. Well, uh, of course, I'm in, I'm in agreement. Uh, as I put it often, you, you either fear God or the New York Times. So you have to choose. Everybody has fears. Fear of God is liberating. Because if you fear God, you don't fear people. Mm. And the, the only way to do good in life is not to fear people. A woman called my show years ago. This is before the present crisis. Oh, not completely before, otherwise she wouldn't have asked the question. But this was the question. My daughter is at college, Dennis. What, what should I tell her? She says to me, if I write what I think, I'm going to get a lousy grade and it's going to hurt my chances of getting into a great uh, graduate school. So I told her, and I came up with this spontaneously, I only mentioned that because I've repeated it so many times, <laughs> but there was a first time, and I remember this first time, and, and I just said, look, I, of course I, would, I can't tell you what to tell your daughter, I could tell you what I would tell my own, one of my two sons, and that is this, that uh, if you compromise on what you believe for a grade, when will you stop compromising on what you believe? Uh, in a different setting, I would spell out the word, but I, I, my, in my raising of my kids, my attitude was F grades. The F word and then grades. But I, just in case you missed it, because you're holier than I am. <clears throat> I, and I mean that sincerely. I, I, I didn't give a damn about it when I was a student. My parents drove my parents crazy. They thought I would end up in prison. They really did. They really assumed that if I didn't do homework, I would end up in prison. Uh, I didn't end up in prison, as it turns out. And, uh, uh, but I, I, I didn't give a hoot about grades. As I always note, in my high school class, I graduated in the top 80%. Now that that is a good line. That is very funny. That is very funny. Thank you. Thank That's you. Like, I got to write. He's that not down. laughing, but he is announcing that it is funny. I'll laugh later. By the way, if you think the insults only go in one direction between Eric and me, just I should like to share with you, we were both invited to sit uh, with the vice, former Vice President Pence in his home, and one other couple. So it was just my wife and I, another couple and Eric, whose wife could not make it. That was it, and, and his family. And as soon as the meal began, I looked at the Vice President of the United States and said, Mr. Vice President, uh, forgive me, but why did you invite Eric Metaxas to this dinner? <laughs> so just please know that it, I don't turn the other cheek with regard to, uh, to Father Metaxas. This, this notion, by the way, of fear of God is huge. Uh, so I, th this is one thing that is important for me that you know. Uh, I, I have written three volumes of, of a commentary on the first five books of the Bible, what Jews know as the Torah, the, the rational Bible. And if you read the reviews uh, on Amazon, you'll see how many Christians have had their faith strengthened and how many people came to faith because I only use reason to explain every sentence. I know biblical Hebrew like I know English, so that's a gift from my, my training. And I make the point 
of one of the greatest stories of, of, the, uh, of the first five books is the midwives who were instructed mm. by Pharaoh to kill all newborn Jewish babies or Israelite babies, baby boys. And the, there was only one reason they didn't. So forgive me, I only rarely quote the Hebrew because it sounds like I'm showing off, but I do it for Christians because they love it. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I love that you love it. That's so, And the midwives feared God. That is the only reason why, why they did that. I mean, Pharaoh was a demigod. He could have had them killed in a nanosecond. If you fear God, but most people don't. And that's what Eric has been saying. It, it's, it, most, most religious people don't. They fear what people will say. They, they fear that they won't, they won't be liked or respected or what, or what have you. And by the way, it's not fun. I, I, I acknowledge it. I, I get this a lot. Somebody will come over to me at the airport or somewhere and say, Dennis, no, I love you. Ah, but you hear that all the time. So my standard response is, actually, I do hear that all the time, but why don't you Google Dennis Prager at <laughs> You will get about half a million hits. <laughs> And I chose the nicest. Because I, 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 I'm in a church auditorium and I, 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 I watch my language. Make like a Mr. Milk Toast. I am hated. And, and it has no impact on me. In fact, on the contrary, thank you. It, it's, it, 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 it doesn't, first of all, it means that I'm effective. So it actually is, is a positive in my life. When I, every, every night I sort of uh, steal myself for Google alerts. Because I have a Google alert on my name, not for ego reasons, just to see what the latest attack is about. And, and it, it, it's, it's endless, and, you know, p- people... Oh, this one you'll really love. University of Wyoming, about four years ago, I spoke there, and uh, so, of course, the usual, every university I speak at, it is almost... It's boilerplate. You know what boilerplate is? Repeated stuff that you just stick in, like, in an email from a law firm. So it's boilerplate, basically, Oh, I, the University of Wyoming is having this homophobe, uh, Islamophobe, uh, transphobe, uh, misogynist, and, and then, well, or as I put it, six herb, sexist, intolerant, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, racist, bigoted. And, uh, <laughs> but this one added, and an anti-Semite. <laughs> <laughs> There's some truth to that, but that, uh, <laughs> that's just dark humor. I'm, I'm, I'm annoyed with a lot of my fellow Jews. It's just dark humor. Uh, as you're annoyed with a lot of your fellow Christians, and, and, and we both should be. I mean, it's just, that's just a fact. But uh, look at what they did to Larry Elder in California. Larry is my close friend for 30 years. I got him into radio, and, and he, he's, he always honors me with wonderful statements about how I have uh, helped his life, and I have. I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of that fact. 
So I know Larry very well, and the Los Angeles Times, a, a columnist, wrote that Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy. How are you a black face of white supremacy? Has there ever been such a thing? I mean, do you understand? So here is one of the big conclusions I have drawn. We have to make one case. Secularism destroys. That is, religious people do not make that case often enough. Mm. There are many wonderful secular people, and it is completely irrelevant. Godlessness, secularism destroys. Mm. If people can say Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy, if we are told that you are a hater if you do not say men give birth, this is all a product of secularism. Okay? All of it. I'll tell you when I learned it. You could see it on the internet. I wrote this 25 years ago, How I Found God at Columbia. And this is the story. I never had a theophany. God has never appeared to me. I did have one epiphany. Out of nowhere, a revelation. I was standing in the middle of Columbia going a little nuts because I was as lonely at Columbia as a conservative religious person would be at Columbia today. It was, it was awful then, but it's worse today. Today it's a cesspool. And I say that with great sadness, but it is. Anyway, I asked myself, how could so many intelligent teachers teach me nonsense? I'll give you two examples. Men and women were basically the same. I was taught that in the 70s. That is not new. I was taught I was in international relations. I was taught that the U.S. and the USSR were moral equivalents. It was just a competition between economic systems, not between freedom and totalitarianism, but between capitalism and Marxism, as if that was the issue. It is one of the issues, certainly, because capitalism allows for people to get out of poverty and Marxism doesn't. And then asking the question, out of nowhere, a Hebrew phrase that I had last said in Jewish school in first grade. Mm. I would chant this phrase every day. You will all recognize it when I tell it to you in English. But it came to me in Hebrew. I won't bother you again with Hebrew. But it came to me in Hebrew. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Mm. And then I realized, and this changed my life. That's why I call it an epiphany. No God, no wisdom. The secular world produces knowledge, no wisdom. The least wise places in America are the most secular places in America, the university. Mm. It's fascinating how we've moved away from the ideas, these deep ideas of Western culture, wisdom, dignity, honor, duty. We've, we've drifted away so that people don't even talk about them anymore. Wisdom, that, that's the most anodyne of all. Nobody talks about wisdom. Mm -hmm. And that alone is fascinating. Nobody's particularly mentioned that. But, but it is a fact that you can be extremely smart and profoundly foolish. You, we know this, right? And the, re the reason I say this, we were talking at dinner about, uh, I, I mentioned I this book that's coming out is called Is Atheism Dead? So the first part's about science and faith, and then I deal with biblical archaeology, and there's some insane stuff in, in this book, which is why I'm not embarrassed 
to beg people to, to pre-order it because it's extremely cheap right now, and I, I don't know if that's going to change. But the, main, the third part of the book, I deal with atheism, with the new atheists, and I've never really dealt with it before. But my biggest takeaway was that Christopher Hitchens, for example, and Richard Dawkins, who are the quote-unquote new atheists, there's two others I don't really deal with, but never in my life have I been so staggered by the idiocy of geniuses. They are embarrassed. It's embarrassing. When I, I was reading this, I thought to myself, this is embarrassing. Very embarrassing. Because, but look, there's nothing new under the sun. We know that uh, Paul Johnson wrote his famous book, Intellectuals, I don't know, 40 years ago. It is, there's some things, I don't know who said this, you'll know this, but somebody famously said some things are so stupid it takes an intellectual to believe it. I don't know who that was. Who was that? I quote it all the time and well, I don't know who said it. We don't know. We should right. look it up. Somebody Google that. You're looking what at the hell I anyway. said it? Yeah. Actually, yeah, exactly. But, but, the, but the point is that there is something... It has to do with the Enlightenment, um, where you strip out this idea. In other words, you puff up this idea of knowledge and information, and you act. I mean, it's kind of like when Bill Clinton said, we need to get a laptop in every school. I thought, what, what idiocy, as if that's going like, to teach anybody anything valuable. It's like it's just technology. You need good teachers to impart wisdom to teach us how to think and how to... And, but we've, we bought into this idea... And basically, the more secular a culture becomes, the more it goes in that direction. Because wisdom is scary. Wisdom will lead you to God. I have done all that I could to see the evil. Hey there, folks. Exciting news. We're going into the home stretch. That means that my book is launching next week. I cannot believe it. As the author, you just you work so hard on something. I worked really hard on this book. And there's stuff in here which I promise you is going to blow your mind. Albin, you've been reading it and you've been having very positive experiences with uh, it, which always I've blows been, me when a friend tells me yeah. you know, what, what he's reading. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've been reading it, and I'm gonna, I'm going to interview you next week on the launch day about this particular book. I'm having, a, it's fascinating. It's blow your mind, fascinating. It, no, I, I mean it is, and it's not because I wrote it. It's this, the stuff that I'm writing about is inherently fascinating. And um, so, okay, two things. First of all, I've, I've not mentioned this, I don't think before, but uh, one thing you can do is you can ask your local library to carry uh, this book, carry copies of the book. Uh, it's already a bestseller, um, and uh, that would be really helpful when libraries uh, carry the book. So please, uh, if you can, can, if you think of it, do that. Uh, I also ask you uh, to think about buying copies to donate to libraries, uh, to school libraries. Uh, it's just important this information get out there and be available. And you'll see when you read the book, uh, if you haven't already done so, if you're a member of the launch team. Uh, also, I want to say that um, please post your reviews if they're favorable as soon as possible, because the, uh, there are a lot of atheist trolls out there and they work really hard 
uh, to destroy books like this. Like they post one star reviews on Amazon and they've never read the book and stuff. So uh, we need your help uh, to, to please, you know, as soon as the, the links go live, wherever it's Goodreads or Barnes and Noble or Amazon, as soon as you can, please post your reviews. Uh, it and, makes a, a, a big difference. And by the way, if Albert, uh, Albert Camus was still alive today, he'd be given this a five-star review. Yes, he would. That's right. I mean, some of the craziest stuff in the book yeah. is the fact that Camus and Sartre became believers at the end of their lives. No one seems to know about this. Don't ask me how I discovered it, except by God's grace. But when you discover it, you think, this is monster news. We've got to tell the world. The world needs to know. Whenever their names came up, say, oh, by the way, at the end of their lives, they accepted God. Mm -hmm. Uh, People are going to think that's not possible. Well, you can look it up not only in my book, but in the footnotes and the bibliography. 